Well, good morning, church family. Uh, it's a good day to, for us to join together in our midweek devotional as we uh, continue in Psalm 119, as we finish part two of uh, He uh, in verses 33 through 40. Uh, before we do, let's go ahead and open up in a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day. And as we open up your word once again, we ask for you to guide us in all truth, uh, that we would see the importance of your word in our lives each and every day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go ahead and refresh our memory by reading the entirety of verses 33 through 40 of Psalm 119. It says, Teach me, O Lord, the ways of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the paths of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. Well, let's begin here by uh, looking at verse 36 as we finish out this psalm section together, uh, considering the fact that God's word is our guide throughout life. It says, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Well, the word selfish gain here in Hebrew um, can be translated uh, dishonest gain or covetousness. Uh, something that uh, we know scripturally as God's people we are to avoid. Uh, and a matter of fact, we can go back to the, uh, the law of God, the Ten Commandments. Uh, in the Tenth Commandment, uh, it, we find in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, where it says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Uh, the thing is, is a uh, reason why God speaks so much to coveting or wanting what is not ours is because when we desire something other than God himself, uh, we will very quickly and very uh, realistically find out the threat that that poses in our walk with the Lord. Uh, because it is one of those things that it is a slow progression uh, where it will be something small and then it will... Uh, end up being something big uh, by the time uh, we, we realize uh, just how much trouble we're in when we allow that progression to take place and we covet which uh, those things that don't belong to us. And I can give you some biblical examples of this, this progression and what can happen when we covet what does not belong to us. Um, you know, we can go to 2 Samuel chapter 11 and see the example of King David because he coveted Bathsheba uh, and he coveted her so much uh, uh, which she was already another man's wife uh, Uriah uh, Uriah's wife matter of fact uh, the result was sin after sin because he coveted Bathsheba uh, he coveted her to the point of committing adultery with her uh, to the point of realizing uh, that uh, he wanted her above uh, all else and even God himself to the point that he had Uriah killed on the battlefield. Uh, and so we see that progression and what can happen when we begin coveting what may be seem small, uh, but the fact is is that when we covet something more than we, we desire to be with the God who made us, 
then there is a nasty progression of sin that takes place. But also in Acts 5, we can look at a New Testament example of Ananias uh, coveted money. Uh, and when uh, Ananias had sold a plot of land and his people were selling pieces of property uh, to, to give to the common good of, of those in the, uh, the, the New Testament church, uh, he actually uh, lied to the Holy Spirit in relation uh, to how much it was sold for and withheld money back from the sale of the property. Uh, and so it started out with coveting money to the point of lying to the Holy Spirit to the point where Ananias and Sapphira both ended up losing their lives as a result of this disobedience. And so there was, was small but yet very large uh, things that ended up happening as a result of them coveting. And you'll notice the psalmist says, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Okay, and so he's saying, you know what, Lord, incline my, my, my heart, bend my heart towards your word, uh, as opposed to those things which are selfish, because I already have a natural bent uh, towards uh, coveting things that do not belong to me. Even as someone who has been redeemed, even though we're not a slave to sin any longer, uh, as the scriptures uh, clearly uh, communicate, but the fact is, is we still are capable of sin. Um, and uh, you know, we, we can again see that biblical example of, of David who was uh, you know, God's choice. He was a man after God's own heart, but yet at, at a point of weakness, he ended up coveting, he you know, committed adultery, he ended up murdering as a result of that progression uh, and allowing sin to creep in and dictate uh, to his desires and his, uh, his wants. But the psalmist is saying, bend my heart towards your word so that my conduct will not be for selfish gain. It will not be to covet. Uh, because the thing is, is once we, we move something out, you know, something needs to be replaced in there. And so the, the psalmist is saying, Lord, give me uh, a bent towards your word so that uh, I will therefore not covet what does not belong to me. Restrain me from going towards those things which are selfish. Well, he continues on in verse 37, where he says, Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Turn my eyes away from things that will ruin me. And again, this is a, a repeat of a theme that has been uh, you know, already in this psalm we've talked about in relation to uh, our eyes. But, you know, ask yourself the question, I mean, how much of our lives is spent looking at worthless things? Uh, you know, it's not as if we, we cannot look at anything other than God because we still have to exist and, and to work and to do. But the question is, do we just idly uh, sit back and, you know, look at those things that are a waste of time? Uh, you know, and he's saying, you know, Lord, turn my eyes away from looking at worthless things. Well, what are some of the things that he may be thinking of in relation to being worthless? Well, I think we can very easily say that things that have nothing to do with God, um, because, you know, as the psalmist is saying, you know, uh, bend my heart towards your word, uh, as opposed to those things which are selfish gain, things that I can covet. Uh, that there's a, a potential struggle there, but also 
he, realizing that he needs a safeguard. Uh, but the same is true here is that, you know, there's things that are, have nothing to do with God that are worthless, uh, a waste of our time. Uh, but things that also divide our focus. You know, uh, it's even possible to, you know, take a look at the Word of God and find ourselves uh, looking after things that are of, of no consequence. Uh, or we're looking for, for controversy or looking for debate uh, and, and actually creating, uh, as it were, an idol out of that particular thing and missing altogether uh, the point of the Word of God as it, it teaches and it, it reforms and transforms uh, our thinking. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with discussing the Word of God. We, we talked about that last time, um, but we need to, to caution ourselves to make sure that we are not having something that divides our focus uh, so that instead of you know looking to the God of Scripture, uh, we, we make a, a God out of our study of the Scripture uh, in, in a negative way. Uh, but there's also things that, uh, as we look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, uh, things that are uh, the negative of what's there. Not true, not honorable, not just, not pure, not lovely, not commendable, not excellent, and not praiseworthy. Uh, those are all things that could pull our attention away. Things that our eyes can, you know, participate in. Uh, that, uh, as you know, uh, once we look at things, uh, they are, they're, uh, you know, ingrained, they are burnt into our conscience. Uh, things that you know that you've seen that you cannot unsee. Uh, and so that's why it's important for, you know, this prayer that the, the psalmist is saying is, you know, turn my eyes from things that are worthless because I don't need images of those worthless things popping into my head at random times. Uh, remembering what it says in Matthew chapter 6, that the eye is the lamp of the body. And if your eye is healthy, then your whole body will be full of light. Uh, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Uh, if then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. See, the psalmist is petitioning God to turn his eyes from worthless things and toward God's ways uh, and that actually give him life, that give him the, the ability to see who he is before God. Uh, and... Uh, you'll notice that it says, uh, that phrase, give me life. Uh, again, this is the same Hebrew word that we looked at back in verse 25 of, of Psalm 119 that actually can be translated, revive me. Uh, and so the psalmist is saying, you know, turn my eyes from things that are worthless and, you know, revive uh, in me your ways. So replace those uh, uh, worthless things with actual things that matter. Um, he is once again asking God to reawaken his awareness, to um, help him to uh, uh, judge what is worthless and what is worthy, uh, to give him a renewed appreciation for God's ways, God's holiness, God's word, and God's kingdom. Uh, it kind of reminds me of, of, of Isaiah chapter 35, of what happens when God is in the, the midst of his people and what can happen as a result of our focus being on him as opposed to things of this world. It says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf, deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. See, God will bring refreshing into 
that which was a desert of worthless things uh, and make it uh, a pool uh, and a spring coming up out of thirsty ground. Let's finish out uh, this section of, of He uh, in verses 38, 39, and 40, which I've, I've, I've put together uh, because of the, the finishing theme here. It says, Confirm to your servant your promise that you uh, may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. Confirm to your servant. Have you ever stopped to ask God to confirm, to help you to see, uh, to reinforce uh, what God has taught you in his word, to see that it's practical for you as his son or his daughter to be able to embrace the promises that he gives us in his word? This is something important, something that we should do, uh, is ask God to confirm to us. You know, uh, we know that the Spirit is the one who lets us know that we belong uh, to God, that we're children of God. Uh, but the psalmist is saying, you know, take away my uncertainty with that which is eternally certain, which is you. Uh, there's a lot of uncertainty in this world. We can see that even in, in our, our day and age with all the things that we've been dealing with over the last, you know, four or five months uh, in our country. Uh, and the psalmist is saying, you know, when this was penned, you know, take away that uncertainty from my life and give me uh, perspective on that which is eternally certain. You know, remembering that you are the eternal God, as it tells us in Psalm 90, uh, that you are the God who um, does not change, as we know from Hebrews and Malachi, uh, that your word stands forever as it tells us in isaiah chapter 40 verse 8 that the grass withers the flower fades but the word of god will stand forever uh, those are things that we can take and personalize and see the eternal certainty of them he says that you may be feared uh, well that feared uh, word feared in hebrew actually means worshiped uh, and not to be afraid of god because he is all you know all-powerful and this awesome God, uh, but a reverential fear of God. Uh, it, remembering what it tells us in Isaiah 46, that remembering the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. That is the God we serve. And we, we desire, as God confirms to us his promises, as he confirms to us that we belong to him, uh, that's so that we will be able to worship him and revere him as the one and true only God. He says there in verse 39, to turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. See, there are many that are persecuting him because of his faith in God. And the thing is, he wants them to, that reproach to be turned away for the purpose of people seeing God's truth lived out in their lives and to worship him as, as the psalmist does. Uh, and so this is the desire of his heart. Uh, and he says, uh, Behold, I, I long for your precepts and in your righteousness give me life. Uh, long means to desire. I, I Behold, I desire your precepts. 
Do you desire the Word of God? Do you desire to live for Him in a way that honors Him and glorifies Him and worships Him as the one true God, the one that there is no other like Him? The one, as it says, uh, He says, in your righteousness, give me life. Okay, and here again, there's that Hebrew word that was in verses 25 and in our study in verse 37 just a few moments ago that is revive me. Revive me in your righteousness because that's what we need. We need revival in our lives personally because we are constantly being beaten down. We are constantly in a moral desert of a world uh, and we need God to revive us and to remind us of his morality to remind us of, of his truth and his righteousness so that we may be able to function and to live as witnesses in this world. Well, let's go ahead and close in a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time and I thank you for this word. Uh, I thank you for your righteousness, uh, which is eternal, that can transform our thinking, that can be a witness to those around us. Uh, may we continue to delight in your word today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have a great remainder of your week, church family, and we'll see you next time.